Intel Innovation Spotlight, a new podcast series designed to bring you commentary and analysis on leading education systems change. My name is Matthew Shea, and joining me is Courtney Belolan. If you recognize our voices, it's because we manage the Inacall Voices Hub every year at the annual Inacall Symposium, which, just like this, is a place for the field's leading experts to share insights. So if you are headed to Palm Springs this fall, please stop by the Innovation Corner and chat with us. Matt, Inacall is well known for producing some of the field's most important reports, research, and issue briefs on personalized competency-based education. Yes, all things education innovation. So with the introduction of this podcast, Inacall is adding a new way to share the latest thinking in education innovation, new directions in the field, and deep dives into the field's most pressing issues. This series, The Innovation Spotlight, is also here by popular demand. It's an answer to a request that Inacall gets to provide expertise, collaborate with the field, and to host conversations on tough subjects. In new models of teaching and learning, assessing what students know and can do looks very different from the traditional model. Inacall has been studying this issue and publishing resources about it for many years now. And really, in the past decade, there have been many calls for rethinking approaches to assessment, both at the large scale standardized testing level and right down to assessment approaches taking place as educators who are championing the shift to personalized learning. Assessment is a critical issue to us personally. So we're glad to talk with two of Inacall's policy experts about it today. Yes, we are. Joining us today are Maria Worthen, Inacall's Vice President for Federal and State Policy, and Alexis Chambers, Inacall's brand new policy associate. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Matt and Courtney. Thank you. So where do you think the renewed and heightened focus on assessment comes from? Well, I think for a long time, educators have known that the tests they're required to do in policy were out of sync with what they needed to do for teaching and learning. I wouldn't say this is necessarily a renewed focus so much as a focus that has been a reality for teachers, school leaders, and students for a very long time is finally making it to the highest levels of policy conversations. And there's a few reasons for that. One is certainly some new opportunities in the federal policy landscape that have made it possible for states to focus on solutions. And so that gives educators and school leaders a chance to speak out and provide solutions. And some states are really listening and uh, incorporating the voices of educators and students to create new balanced systems of assessment that better align to student-centered learning. And I think one thing that is still driving the conversation as a challenge, however, is, is, that, is that there is still a balance that we must strike between meeting federal and state assessment requirements and also ensuring that teachers have the capacity to develop new assessments and pilot them. And there is a program in the new every, well, it's not so new, actually, that every student act, which was passed in 2015 in which states are now implementing fully this year mm. but um, they, states can now pilot in a subset of districts new innovative systems of assessment without the pilot the exact same assessment has to be given to all students statewide so that creates a little space but there's still a lot of challenges but yeah. it's great to have to have that initial space 
Let's talk about what assessment should look like in a personalized competency-based environment. When we look at the definition of competency-based education, the five-part definition, one of the elements is that assessment is a uh, positive learning experience for students. And so I think it's really hard to envision what that looks like without seeing it in action. And I think part of that is because, because of the prior tension that I talked about with the need to meet legal requirements, which are very well intentioned, um, and and the, the desire of teachers to align assessment to their actual curriculum and classroom practice. Um, you know, there's become this disconnect, I think, in the way people think about assessment versus instruction. So this conversation is really about thinking about how can we have coherence between instruction and learning and the things that we measure for other purposes, such as for policy and accountability. Um, so in a competency-based classroom environment that is personalized, assessment can support individual student learning and achievement outcomes that matter. It can empower educators to facilitate student progress, deeper learning and growth towards a new, more comprehensive definition of success, not just sort of the narrow outcomes that policy has focused on in, in the last decade. And assessment can provide feedback on the depth and breadth of learning, as well as provide valid reporting on progress. So students know where they are in their learning and they get that feedback in a timely manner. And I think that one, one really critical piece for equity is that students get the supports that they need when they need them. And if we're not monitoring academic progress, then we're not gonna be able to determine what happens next for the student. Assessment is a really important tool that teachers can have in their toolbox to support personalized competency-based systems um, that recognize students can learn anytime and anywhere and serve as an equitable and transparent mechanism to certify student mastery of the knowledge and skills they need to succeed. Mm. So earlier you mentioned this opportunity for piloting within ESSA that allows the states to build maybe more balanced systems of assessment with a little bit more innovation. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think that's something a lot of people would be interested to hear about. Certainly. Well, as I mentioned earlier, there is this Innovative Assessment Demonstration Authority, which we refer to shorthand as the Innovative Assessment Pilot, which allows states to apply to the U.S. Department of Education for the ability to develop new systems of assessment and pilot them in a subset of districts. It waves them out of the requirement that every single student in the state has to take the same test for accountability purposes. Mm. Of course, states have always had the freedom to, to create new, new and different systems of assessments outside of what's required for federal accountability. But when we're talking about core skills like literacy, numeracy, and science that must be reported to the federal government and English proficiency as well, these are areas where it's really been hard to think outside the box. And so we now have four states, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Louisiana, and Georgia that have been approved to pilot new systems of assessment in a subset of districts. And they're all doing different things. So this is an opportunity for us to learn. But the impetus behind this was really the pioneering work of New Hampshire with its PACE program, the Performance Assessment for Competency Education 
And when Congress was reauthorizing the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which was passed as ESSA, we were, we at INA Cole worked very closely with our friends in New Hampshire and with other experts in the field, such as Scott Marion out of the Center for Assessment, to ensure that this pilot would A, be included in SS, and B, that it would have sufficient room for a state to do something like what New Hampshire is doing. Now, we're really excited it got into the law. However, there are a lot of barriers in there, and a lot, number of states have opted to not apply to participate in the pilot and rather pilot new systems of assessment outside of the, the subjects that are federally required to be tested. So there's even beyond these four states, there's a really interesting landscape mm. of new and different types of performance assessments that are springing up around the country. So INACOL has been at the forefront of encouraging conversation and action around equity in education. And so all of the systems change work that you advocate is in fact all about innovation for equity, ensuring every student leaves K-12 education with the knowledge, skills, and the dispositions needed for college, career, and life in general. The current way we approach teaching and learning creates these wide gulfs for some students to bridge, right? We know this. So how does assessment play into that? And what can assessment do to achieve educational equity? That's a great question. And competency-based education holds promise as a model for fostering equity. But only if equity is intentionally embedded in educational culture, structures, curriculum, assessments, and instruction. District and school leaders can use this framing to foster equity goals through the creation of balanced systems of assessments that align with competency-based learning systems. A recent INACOL Competency Works report, Designing for Equity, Leveraging Competency-Based Education to Ensure All Students Succeed, identifies a number of equity principles to advance a vision for educational equity as a fair and just system where every learner, students and educators alike, is thriving. And so there are four of the nine principles in this framework that hold particular relevance um, and, and provide valuable insights for aligning systems of assessments to an equity approach. Um, these include engaging the community in shaping new definitions of success and graduation outcomes and aligning assessments to those broader valued outcomes. How this relates to assessment is that systems of assessments need to measure and enable the breadth of knowledge, skills, and dispositions we expect students to master. And this includes, but isn't limited to, rigorous expectations for academic proficiency. A second equity principle that assessment can address is ensuring consistency of expectations and shared understanding of proficiency. And what that looks like is having sufficient educator engagement in assessments, time for collaboration to compare different teachers or reviewers' grades on the same piece of student work yeah. to create that iterator reliability. Additionally, the, the last two equity principles I'm going to address are monitoring and responding to student progress, proficiency, and pace, and responding and adapting to students' needs using continuous improvement processes. So assessments, of course, should play a role in providing timely, differentiated support along a pathway to competence and enable variable pathways and demonstrations to document learning. 
and balance assessment systems need to support continuous improvement activities. And that means, and this, this is why we call it balance systems of assessments, plural, because no one assessment can do all of this alone. You must have a mix of assessments, assessment types, item types, to gather information that's timely, to gather information about student growth, to gather information about mastery. So it's gonna have to be a, a mixture of yeah. formative and, and summative assessment. I think it's important to say that while we have a lot of work to do to realize this vision of educational equity, from a policy standpoint, the ultimate goal is that teachers will be equipped to really adapt learning experiences and adjust how they teach, what they teach, and when and where they teach based on these assessments that they've conducted. And this allows students to really play a more active role in their learning. And usually when you mention an exam or a test, every student's face immediately turns to a frown and you hear a bunch of grumbling and rumbling. But really assessments are a chance for us to get some valuable information on where we are in meeting our goals, both as educators and students. And from a policy standpoint, we really want to create a space at the top to really support what the educators and students are leading on the ground. That's a great way of putting it. And I think that orientation of policy and practice working together could help remove the confusion that abounds surrounding issues of assessment with issues of accountability. Yeah, and we talk about accountability and assessment like they're the same thing because through past policies like No Child Left Behind, we have attached big stakes to the assessments. So the test did in fact become the instrument used for accountability. We're trying to change that conversation and elevate the notion that assessment is a vast concept that when done well is critical to learning. And sometimes it can be a part of accountability but first and foremost, it needs to be a part of instruction mm. and informing where students are in their learning and what can happen next. Um, of course, problems arise when the goals in the accountability system are too narrowly defined and the incentives or disincentives are too limiting or too punitive. So we saw that with No Child Left Behind where it tied a single assessment, the end of year summative state test to multiple high stakes consequences, which included the identification of schools for improvement um, and which had the impact of diverting prior, previously budgeted funds for curriculum and instruction to other purposes. Right. So I think this is where some of the confusion has come from, um, but it really points to a need for a critical shift in thinking around accountability and assessment including with systems that move the focus from performance on a single test to multiple measures aligned with profile of graduate with this more holistic definition of success and accountability for continuous improvement. You know that so many of us are behind you and rooting you on in this work. Like, thank you. We're so glad that you are out there uh, championing this for all of the learners out there in our country. Um, so Alexis, you come to Ina Call from the classroom. Yes, I taught um, high school history in Cincinnati, Ohio for two years, and I also taught both fourth graders and pre-K students in DC the last school year. Wow, that's quite a spread. So as a teacher, how do these high-level policy conversations filter to the classroom level? So my role as an educator is to meet the students, meet the needs of my students, and prepare them really for the next level. And teachers have to play a leadership role in designing new systems of assessment, because if teachers don't understand how to assess our students, how do we expect students to learn and grow and really master content? 
And teachers are the most frequent and important point of contact for students and for student learning. For student learning. And educators need to know what assessments are measuring, what skills and knowledge students need to be successful, not only in the classroom, but beyond. And that's done by training educators on how to read assessment data, how to align what students are learning with what they're being tested on, and making testing and content really relevant to the kids. So I taught at an urban school in Cincinnati that was about 98% Black students. I taught world history, and most of our lessons were centered on a Western European view of what happened in history. Mm -hmm. and my students really didn't resonate with this or find this relevant or interesting. And they would always ask me, when are we going to learn about something that matters, something that we care about? We have been talking about social justice that entire school year, and I knew this was a real connection point for my kids. They really like to talk about and learn about people that look like them. So I had to figure out how to honor their interests while still understanding that my students were going to be tested on certain information and that that test had some real consequences on their education moving forward. Mm. Fortunately, I had a lot of flexibility in how I could teach the standards. So we were studying World War II and I thought, why not teach World War II through the lens of Black soldiers? So I planned my entire World War II unit around the viewpoint of Black soldiers. And we learned all of the important aspects of the curriculum and the standards, but just through a lens that was relevant for my kids. Nice. Um, there wasn't a predetermined cumulative assessment that fit with what I was teaching the kids because we really had built this unit from scratch. Mm. And I didn't feel like a multiple choice exam where you're just bubbling in A, B, C, or D <laughs> was going to really capture the richness of, and the engagement of my students. So instead, we did a project-based assessment. I had students work in teams, and they had to come up with creative ways to showcase what they had learned. We had some kids who came up with songs and music videos. We had some groups create mini movies or skits. And I had some students do just like a standard poster or a gallery walk. Yeah. And on my end, I created a rubric with the help from my English teacher um, so that we can make sure we were not only assessing those social studies standards in the content, but make sure that I was hitting on some of those reading and writing skills that kids also needed. Mm. And I had teachers from the team come in and we would watch the presentations and we would score all of the groups against this rubric. And I was just so impressed with how my students really took ownership of what they were learning. And it turned out to be really the best unit I think I have ever taught in my career. Um, I had students who wanted to show me what they had learned. And like, if you're a teacher, you know, it's like, really hard to get students like excited yeah. <laughs> and when they care it's like really exciting for you when students actually care yeah. and I think that this just illustrated for me that when we listen to our students and we really equip our teachers to do what they need to do for kids we can really transform the way that they engage with education and learning. That is such an awesome story. I wish I could have been a part of that and seen it actually happen. It is so magical when you find that right shift to connect learning to students' lives. And then, as you said, the assessment ceases to be like a task and it becomes a joy. They want to show it to you. Uh, let's shift the conversation a little bit and let's talk about the role of states. What can states do to build and sustain systems of assessments that support competency-based education in a way that takes cues from teachers like Alexis? So I think Alexis's example is really powerful and helpful because this type of performance assessment is something that teachers do every day in their classrooms, but is simply not reflected mm -hmm. on the vast majority of assessments that are used for accountability purposes. Right. So the challenge that states are beginning to rise to is 
how can we take this type of formal classroom assessment that's happening to that that's really um, getting rich information about what students are learning in multiple content areas you know Alexis talked about working together with the the English teacher in the school um, and heading on both history and reading writing and ELA standards so this is labor intensive, it's not cheap, and it requires a reframing of the central competencies required for teaching rather than becoming, a, rather than primarily being a vehicle for content delivery, who better than teachers to be the arbiters of where students are in their learning and what needs to happen next. So states are, are starting to grasp that there might be a way to capture this for accountability purposes. And that's what's been happening in New Hampshire. So as I mentioned earlier, New Hampshire, um, even before, long before its approval to participate in the innovative assessment pilot, they had a waiver under ESEA to pilot their performance assessment for competency education system in a cohort of districts. And the PACE system is uh, comprised of an item bank of locally developed performance assessment tasks, which are then aligned to the state academic standards. And then teachers work collaboratively to consistently grade the student work across districts. And this is something that we see a lot in other countries where this process of moderation where, where teachers are um, calibrating their judgments of student mastery against each other. And through this process of moderation, we can actually take these types of performance assessments aligned to standards and create equitable information about where students are in their learning and at the same time, not disrupt the learning process. Mm. So when we think about the state role, Part of this is about deep engagement with communities, redefining success, redefining the role of the teacher, and thinking about how systems can be purpose-built to support student success. It's gonna require different types of investments in teacher capacity. It's gonna require higher education and other teacher prep programs to come to the table. Mm. It's gonna require different allocations of Title II Part A money and other professional development money. This is, is really an opportunity, not for education reform, but for us to honor the experience and expertise of those who are educating our children and to make that a meaningful part of our systems of assessments. Alexis, what can we do to support teachers to change their thinking and approach to assessment? I think we can um, support our teachers by building educator capacity and really just expanding everyone's assessment literacy. Um, while assessment literacy is important for practitioners, it's also important for policymakers and all stakeholders to understand the role that different types of assessments play in student learning and how the information that we generate by these assessments can be improved, can be used to improve um, student learning experiences. This is, this is all quite a bit to process. So what haven't we covered and what else should listeners know about assessment? 
Sure. Well, if you're interested in learning more, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't put in a plug for the vast library of ideal resources that touch on this topic. We have two fairly recent uh, issue briefs that where um, your listeners might be able to dig in more deeply to these ideas of redesigning systems of assessments and modernizing teaching with regard to both practice and policy. And I'll just call out two of our recent policy publications. Um, so the modernizing the teacher workforce for learner-centered competency-based equity-oriented education is an issue brief that provides state policy actions that are necessary to transform teaching. And I think what's really important and unique about our recommendations around teacher capacity is the center role that assessment takes in that um, and the need to involve teachers very integrally in that process. Another issue brief from a few years ago is called Redesigning Systems of Assessments for Student-Centered Learning. And this provides some, some considerations for state policymakers that are interested in taking this on. And some of those action steps can include supporting stakeholders working with communities to redefine student success and create more holistic graduate profiles, exploring graduation guidelines and graduation profile concepts, and what does that mean for systems of assessments locally and at the state level. Again, always engaging stakeholders in this process. Creating a working group on examining and auditing the systems of assessments that are being used in the state to, to determine whether they are fit for the task of student learning, student-centered learning, and collaborating with willing districts and schools to explore possible approaches to piloting new innovative systems of assessments, whether that is under the Innovative Assessment Demonstration Authority through the U.S. Department of Education or outside of federally required assessments at the state level. Um, and then finally, to Alexis's last point, states should be prioritizing educator assessment literacy. So in thinking about efforts to redesign the, the pathways for teachers into the profession and through the profession of teaching, what can states do to emphasize the importance of assessment literacy? And that is going to be a really key consideration if states are serious about redesigning systems of assessments to better align with competency-based education. So those are two resources I would encourage folks to check out. And I just can't repeat enough the importance of engaging teachers in the development of these systems because they are going to be the ones that are going to have the greatest role in carrying it out and making it meaningful. I think teachers are already rethinking assessments and getting innovative in the way that, that they gather data, but we just may not recognize it when we're actually doing it. I know when I was teaching, I didn't really realize the ways I was getting innovative in my content delivery or my in my assessments. I just knew what got my students excited, and I used that to make the best lessons possible. But if I had support from, some really intentional support from my building leaders, the district, and really ultimately some flexibility and policy, I really could have made an even broader impact. And I just think that um, the piece about support at every level is really essential to the work. I think that is a good place to end it. 
Uh, thank you both Maria and Alexis for your insights today, your knowledge, and how this is going to help everyone that's listening out there. Thank you very and, much. And your inspiration. I'm, I'm excited and like revved up. <laughs> Courtney's wound up. I am. It's so good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. That was such a good conversation. I feel like assessment is such an important part of learning and teaching. It's also such a stressful part. And I really appreciate that there are people out there doing this kind of work and really pushing this kind of important change for assessment. Yeah, I think that what Alexis was talking about, how she did some different things in her classroom, but still was able to, to meet her kids' needs, uh, is an important part of how teachers are using assessments this year. And I think we'll touch on that quite a bit in one of our other podcasts uh, about policy and learning sciences. Yeah, yeah. I also think, um, you know, the whole piece about how there is flexible in ESSA and how uh, there is flexibility for how states and districts go about making their assessments is hugely important. I feel like more people need to know about that and encourage their local um, representatives and policymakers to pay attention to that and do what's right and what's best for learners. I think that's one of the good reasons that we're doing these podcasts is to spread that word uh, because I know it is very time consuming to be a teacher. And if you don't know that you can do some things, you just kind of right. do the same things you've been doing. And it takes some innovation, uh, as Alexis was talking about, in order to say, well, why can't I do this? Uh, there's right. nothing stopping me. I might as well just go ahead and do it. Right. Yeah. So thank you so much to Alexis and Maria. That was incredible. Every year, more than 3,000 people come to the annual symposium. It's a huge event. And if you're not there, you're missing out on some of the field's most brilliant thinkers. I get something new to act on every time I go. Me too. So if you'd like to join us in Palm Springs this October 28th through the 31st at the Palm Springs Convention Center, head over to inacall.org symposium. That's I-N-A-C-O-L dot org slash symposium. All the details are there. Yes. And follow Inacall on social media to get late breaking updates. On Twitter, they're at NACOL, at N-A-C-O-L. And on Facebook, they're at facebook.com slash Inacall. And as we said at the top, we'll be there. Yep. We'd love it if you would come see us and chat with us. We'll be located in the Innovation Corner. Check for signs directing you to the Voices Hub. We'd love to meet you. See you there.